Hi, I'm Maisie. This is Kids These Days, a podcast from Community High School in Ann Arbor and Michigan Radio, a podcast by teens about teens. In this episode, we want to talk about our phones. It may seem like a pretty obvious topic, but we never really talk about how we use our phones. And maybe that's because we've grown up having them. And yet, there are all these unspoken rules and expectations. What pictures you post, who you follow, even how long it takes you to respond to a Snapchat can have some bigger meaning. So we're here to decode. Me and my two friends, Sai Bayou. Hello. And Jordan DePadaba. Hey, what's up? We're here to take a look at the rules of social media that no one ever really talks about and how they impact our relationships. My name is Lana Haney. I am 18 and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Lana's is your typical modern day love story. Girl opens Tinder, swipes right, and meets somebody. Meets somebody she actually likes. I wanted to like meet up with people and like have people to like either hook up with or party with. But also I wanted a relationship and I found one, so. Lana's Tinder profile is pretty standard. Some selfies and some recycled Instagram posts. Like, the way I did my pictures is I start off with... She also includes pictures expressing her political views and also her sillier side. Along with curating her own profile, Lana has also put a lot of thought into what she's looking for in someone else's. I want a witty bio. I want a good range of photos of them. So I like party pictures. I want a photo of them and their dog. I want at least one photo of them with a younger child, babies especially. So Lana has this Tinder thing down to a science. She clearly knows what she's looking for, and she knows how to get it. Her bachelorette-style date is such a good example of this. She asked 10 random guys that she found on Tinder to meet her at a restaurant. Three of them came, (laughs) and I had to pick which one I thought was cuter by the bar and then hide from the rest of them. None of the guys she invited on the date ended up being the one, but she eventually did find someone she liked. His photos were great, even though his bio kind of sucked. It said, Be my Pong partner. After they matched, they met up the same night. Lana spent the next few weeks almost exclusively at his house. We tried to get the boyfriend on the podcast, but we couldn't reach him. Anyway, Lana says they hit it off immediately. He matched my vibe really well. He was so touchy and like a comforting kind of way like touching my arm and like hugging me at first things were really good they had date nights every friday with flowers and candles and dinner and a movie but there was always a third wheel around their phones and it started to be a problem it just started to get bad when we just started having trust issues lana says sometimes she'd be out doing her thing when she'd get a text from him She'd read it, put her phone down, and forget to text him back. Then, her phone would blow up with frantic texts. Who, who are you talking to? Like, what are you doing? Like, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? And I was like, I just forgot. Other times, they'd be hanging out together with their phones, and they'd scroll through their feed, looking at Instagram or TikTok, and Lana would say things like, Zach Efron is so hot. He hated when I would say other boys were hot. Tracking was also a big one for them. Lana says he was constantly checking her location, asking her what she was doing and who she was talking to. He, like, made me share my location with him, and he was, like, always looking at my location. And, like, if I'd literally be, like, 
grocery shopping he'd be like where are you going I thought you were coming over and I was like oh, I'm going to get something he's like what whose house are you going to to get something I was like uh Kroger do you know her even though their phones brought them together it also ended up playing a large part in why they ultimately broke up as you probably noticed there were a ton of social cues that came into play in Lana's story tracking and response time were two of the big ones Sai and I talked to a couple other teens to get their take on what the rules are and how to follow them so you don't look clueless, or worse, like you're stalking. Yes, I've fallen victim to that a couple of times, not in a stalkery way. That's Ben Chosid. He's 19 years old, in college, and like most of us, he has a phone. And occasionally, he uses it to find his friends. Just if someone's not answering and, uh, and like, I need to know where they are, I'm picking them up, or I want to see, like, if we had plans and they're not, responding or something like that, I'll check. This is a little bit hypocritical of me because I don't have mine on. Well, he has it on for a couple people. Like me. Like Maisie. Either way, he says he still gets annoyed when his friends aren't reachable. It's irritating to me when I need to know where someone is and they're not responding and it's not on and I don't have their location, which I guess is a completely valid thing because it's kind of weird to be able to know where people are at all times, but... I mean, tracking is definitely very common for people our age. There's Find My Friends and Snap Maps and a bunch more. Yeah, I think Snap Map has caused a lot more harm than good among me and my friends, so I don't use Snap Map myself. I don't like that it groups people into bubbles when they're together because it definitely leads to people feeling unwanted or thinking that people don't like them as much as everyone else in the bubble, which is the worst feeling in the world when it happens to you. Totally. Yeah, so that's kind of my take on that. I use Find My Friends because I can pick and choose who sees my location and whose location I see. It also has no timestamp. On SnapMap, you can see how long ago someone was on their phone, and people definitely take it personally when you haven't responded to them. Yeah, that's another thing that comes up a lot, response time. We asked Ben about response times, and he said he usually tries to answer right away. I'm not really one to like wait around and try to seem like I'm doing something else. Um, I'll never really like leave people on red or, or wait a couple of minutes to respond to seem like I'm doing something else. Uh, I guess it like sort of depends on who I'm texting. This is my friend, Sophie Lady Straka, and she has her own set of rules for texting and how long to take to respond. If I get a text that makes me feel like overwhelmed, then you know, I have to, like, take a second to, like, collect myself before I respond. This doesn't just apply to, like, romantic relationships. Like, the other day, I got in an argument with, like, my dad over text. And, like, I didn't want to just give my immediate emotional response. Like, that can be very different and way less, like, articulate than what I actually want to communicate. Response time is probably one of the biggest online social cues. It kind of has categories. It seems like a lot of it depends on the relationship you have with the person you're talking to. Say you are on Snapchat or text, and someone you're friends with sends you something. How long do you usually take to respond? Yeah, so if I'm talking to my friends or like a family member, I will usually respond right away. Um, As soon as I see their text show up on my phone, I'll answer. I don't really feel a need to wait or anything like that. Mm Mm-hmm, but... 
What if the person you're talking to is a little more than a friend? Hmm, yeah. So I really don't know who came up with these rules about this stuff, but I tend to wait for like the two minute marker to pop up for that second like notification that you got a text. But once I'm in an established relationship, I feel like the response time doesn't matter as much. And I kind of go back to how I would respond with a friend um, just because I feel like there's not a lot of pressure anymore in making yourself seem like you're not being clingy. Millions of teens make these kinds of little decisions every day. It's a whole etiquette that we take for granted. And yet these little decisions, they can have a big impact and really affect our relationships. There are so many just like unspoken rules that everyone knows that no one's like ever been taught or no one's ever known, but everyone kind of figured out on their own. Look, we know these rules don't apply to every single text, snap, or call, but spelling them out like this with Ben, Sophie, and Lana's input really helped. Coming up, we have our phones on us all the time, and we use it to stay in touch with our friends, figure out where they are, where to meet up. Our parents also use it to track us. It wasn't that much of a conversation, if I'm being honest. It was more like, so are you still going to track me when I turn 18? Yes. And that was just the end of the conversation. How tracking and other types of surveillance affect our behavior. That's next, after the break. Hey, I'm Maisie. This is Kids These Days, a podcast by teens about teens. Back when our parents were young, things were a lot different. In terms of grades, they were sent home every five weeks or so with a grade report. And when they came home from school... The rule was always when I walked in the door at home, after I got off the bus and walked home, I would pick up the phone and call mom. This is Craig Levin, a high school teacher who grew up in the 80s. If I was going to not do something, we would always have to talk about what I would be doing. and You know, I'm going to John's house after school or I'm going to go next door. Um, Sometimes I'd leave notes for my parents, like a handwritten note. You know as well as I do that we're way past sticking notes on the fridge. Because of our phones, our parents can track us anytime they want. And our grades? Apps make them accessible to our parents 24-7. My parents definitely used to use PowerSchool to look at my grades. Mine too. This is Kate Weiser. She's a sophomore. With all this brand new technology, you'd think there would be a rule book, some instruction on how often to use the apps, if ever. But there's not. So parents have to go with their gut. And kids? Well, we have to go with our gut, too, and try not to get caught in the process. So I wanted to know, do kids change their behavior because they know they're being watched? Craig Levin's oldest daughter got her phone when she was in eighth grade. Her dad downloaded restrictive apps on the phone, including tracking, website blockers, and screen time. He talked to me about how all this surveillance affects his daughter's choices. I know things that they're doing because I can see it or I can hear about it, but no, it doesn't prevent my kids from doing anything. I'm not sure about that. If you know what your kids are doing, doesn't that stop them from doing things you might not approve of? Can't you stop them if you know it's happening? But I I think that we're in the age of more information is better, but I don't know how true that is.
I talked to another person about their experience being surveyed as a teen. We're not using his name because of why he's now tracked. The summer going into his senior year of high school, his parents busted him for smoking weed. And they were like, oh, like, you're definitely, like, using drugs. And I was like, okay, you got me. Like, and then they, like, were like, okay, you have to have Life360 on your phone now. Life360 is a tracking app that was created for families. It alerts users when people in their family circle enter or leave a saved location, such as school, home, or a friend's house. The app shows the battery percentage on the people's phones, saves their location history, and even offers a premium service, where you can track the speed of your car and get crime reports in your area. Every time I say I'm going out with friends, they'll like check on it routinely just to see like where I'm at, I think. So like the... Like there have been times where I've been like parked in a parking lot waiting for a friend or like or parked in a parking lot not waiting for a friend doing something else and they t- they'll text me. But the tracking app doesn't stop him from doing what he wants. It makes him sneakier. He used the internet and apps like TikTok to research ways around the location service. A lot of his friends use the excuse, I forgot my phone at home. But he's not forgetful, so he says that excuse could never work. I wish I could choose to just not have a phone sometimes because I'm envious of people that had like back in like the 1960s and 50s where they were like, mom, I'm going out. And the mom and your mom either was like, no, I don't believe you. Or they were like, "Okay, be safe. Like parents will be like, how am I going to know where you are if you don't have your phone with Life360 on it? Where it's like, imagine you're like your aunt, your parental ancestors had to like just trust your kids. That's crazy. Like. There's like this continued spiral of like relying on technology that's just going to continue and continue. My name is Caroline. I'm a sophomore at Community High. Caroline's parents started monitoring her in middle school. They used Find My to track her location and PowerSchool to check her grades. Her parents have PowerSchool set up so they get notifications whenever assignments are graded. Caroline says she gets text messages and calls from her dad during school if anything is marked missing or if she gets a low grade. The constant monitoring created a rift between her and her parents. I really chose not to spend, like, any time at home. Like, I spent most of my time at, like, after-school clubs or hanging out with friends or whatever. And I really just, like, whenever I was kind of around my family, I wasn't, like, enjoying it because I didn't feel like they trusted me. It took a long time for Caroline and her parents to rebuild that trust. Even by taking baby steps, they experienced many setbacks, but in the end, it was for the best. It took a lot of openness and honesty from Caroline. Definitely, there were times that like, I would end up like, crying and like, telling my parents that I didn't feel like they trusted me at all. Caroline described many nights where they would sit down and talk through why they were monitoring her so heavily. And she would explain to them why it was so hard for her. Eventually, she realized, if she just stuck to their rules, it would work in her favor, too. They would tell me to be home at 10, I'd be home by, like, 10, and then maybe then they would push the curfew to, like, 10.30 the next night or whatever. Um, Just knowing that, like, I wasn't, like, completely rebelling and I was listening to them as they were trying to listen to me, too. I'm Anya, I'm 18, and... My parents have been tracking my location and monitoring me since I got my phone, sixth grade. Anya's parents have eased up on her as she's gotten older, but they used to be constantly checking up on her. Every time I would come and leave the house, they'd get a notification, and every time I'd come and leave school, they would get a notification. 
So, like, their phones were constantly buzzing as I would, like, go anywhere. Anya's parents installed Life360 on her phone when she got it when she was 11. At first, they used the app to make sure she was safe. But after a while, things changed. They started watching her location to see if she was sneaking out. My friend texted me in the middle of the night. It wasn't even the middle of the night. It was like 11 p.m. And she wanted to go to Insomnia Cookies. Anya felt she had two options. Wake her parents up to ask if she could go or just go without telling them. And in my 16-year-old brain, I thought it sounded like a better idea to go and not tell them. So it was raining that night. The rain was coming down pretty hard. And I went out onto my little balcony thing that's connected to my room. She climbed off the balcony and slipped. She grabbed the gutter to try and stop her fall and pulled half of it off with her and landed in the mud below. And so I was like really shaken up and I just like ran to my car and got in my car and drove to my friend's house. Right as she pulled into her friend's driveway, she got a text from her father. It demanded that she come home and that he knew where she was. So I turned around and I drove home sobbing. And I remember coming back in the house, just like crying and soaking wet. And my parents just being like, why, why would you do that? Like how, we heard your car pull away one. And then we, we heard like a car outside. And then we looked at your location and easily could just saw that you weren't home. So why did you think you could get away with that? After being tracked for seven years, Anya was hoping for a reprieve when she went to college. When she asked her parents if they would turn it off when she was 18, they answered with a prompt, no. So what was that conversation like when you turned 18, like asking them to turn it off and then having them say no? It wasn't that much of a conversation, if I'm being honest. It was more like, so are you still going to track me when I turn 18? Yes. And that was just the end of the conversation. I mean, I would definitely rather them not track me, but I'm not that upset about it because I kind of have become accustomed to it because it's just been like a fact of my life is that my parents know where I am. No matter what I'm doing, my parents can see my location. And that's just like become so normalized to me that I can't imagine. I almost can't imagine a world that my parents don't know where I am at any given moment. I should mention here that I reached out to all of my source's parents for interviews, but none of them wanted to be interviewed or go on tape. But since Anya has been tracked since she got a phone, like a lot of us, she wanted to share some advice, both for parents and kids. I, I understand tracking your kids, but I think once you start checking it out of distrust is when it becomes an issue. Sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening, but we leave our phones places if we're going somewhere. And if you think about it, that's kind of dangerous because then... What if something happens and you don't have a phone? So I think my message to parents is just be conscious of how often you are checking in on your kids and how you're making them feel by it. And try to avoid the reason for location tracking being mistrust because trust, if your kids feel trusted, then they will be more honest and in the end, I think, more safe. And I guess my message to kids is, (laughs) I know it sucks, but it won't be forever.
on the next episode of Kids These Days. What were you thinking the first time you vaped? I would always be that one kid that was like, no, like, stop doing that. Like, it's not good for you. And then for some reason, I just kind of gave up on that outlook. Addiction sucks and quitting is hard. That's next time on Kids These Days from Community High School in Ann Arbor and Michigan Radio. Kids These Days is a collaboration between Community High School in Ann Arbor and Michigan Radio. Produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Mixed by Bob Scon, Edited by Jennifer Guerra with help from Sarah Hewlett. Jennifer Guerra is the show's executive producer. And here are the students who worked on this episode. Reporting for this episode by Jordan DePadova, Sai Veyu, Kate Weiser, and me, Maisie Perry. Editing help from Jordan DePadova, Maisie Perry, and Ruby Taylor. Our logo is by Mia Goldstein. Our theme music is by Jordan DePadova and Max Steiger. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Michigan Radio's Zoe Clark, Vince Duffy, Jody Westrick, Emma Winowicki, Paulette Parker, Katie Raymond, and our community high school teacher, Tracy Anderson. I'm Maisie Perry. See you next time. Support for Kids These Days comes from people like you. If the stories we tell here touch you in any way, you can help out with a contribution of $20 to Michigan Radio's future podcasts. And thanks.